0: Um, I wonder if it's better if I hold it rather than... Hold on. Let me see if I can stick it down here. Maybe that'll be good. I'm just trying to work out the best way of doing it. And that
1: is Jason Fleming. Actor and father of two and general all-round good bloke. You'll know him from Lockstock and Two, Smoking Barrels and Snatch and all sorts of other movies he starred in. But it was really kind of him to give up some of his time and join us on our pot. Now Craig... Look How at about your that? setup, though, mate. You know, you've got all the gear there, though, don't you? Look,
0: we've got it all. We've got it all. Look, <laughs> unfortunately, you're getting none of it. <laughs> we've even got this, look.
1: Oh yeah, the airing cupboard sound, yeah. So yeah, he's showing me his full mixing microphone, pretty much a professional setup he has in the uh, airing cupboard of his house just off the kitchen. Uh, Part of the process of 2020 is him doing a fair bit of voiceover work.
0: Now, let me just think how the best way of doing it is with you just there so that the sound quality is good.
1: So listen in to hear some little known facts about his mate Jason Statham, Um, there's a funny connection there we had um, a while back. Um, Also, he does a great Sean Connery impersonation. Um, He did a movie with Sean, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and uh, has quite
0: a few stories to tell about that. You don't use the picture, do you?
1: No, no, not really. I mean it's sort of uh, it's just going to go straight to pod. You know, you are looking splendid though I've got to say. I will share uh, this setting on our Cairo London Instagram page if you want a quick snippet of your setup, it's quite funny. Uh, But anyway, look, we we get into all sorts of things with him. You know, he's he's not just an amazing actor. He is, as I called him, an ambassador to the giving back culture. Uh, He does a lot of work with charities. He works with the Samaritans in um, the prison system in London. Has done for 20 years. And I'm really intrigued to sort of hear about how he gives back and um, how he's managed to do that over the years. He's got his new podcast where he meets uh, ex-cons, ex-cons, criminals and ex-addicts uh, and just sort of tries to learn a little bit about what they have learned and how they've managed to sort of turn their lives around. So i definitely give his uh, more than their past podcast uh, a listen. So
0: it's all good, um, <clears> Rob. <throat> how's that
1: sound quality for you? Yeah, pretty good, I think. Um,
0: I okay, can hear good. you
1: through some headphones here, but I mean... Uh... And but lastly, we cover how much he loves a visit to the Cairo. He's regular down at Putney Cairo Clinic, um, but also you know, there's uh, he takes his kids to a local osteopath, and there's a bit of a crossover between osteopathy and chiropractic offers. So, have a listen to some of the cool stuff that's happened with his kids, just to sort of help them develop well and healthy. So, sit back and enjoy this next edition of the Cairo London podcast, brought to you by Ground Coffee Society. Mate, I'm obviously a bit of a novice at this thing. You are obviously the pro. Um, but, you know, I, I seem to be addicted to this whole thing of like having conversations to people. And I couldn't think of a better place to do it is in your airing cupboard right now.
0: Thanks, Craig. Well, you know, we're, we, I guess we're recording from now. So anything we get, you're, you're welcome to use. But, but my airing cupboard, my airing cupboard and airing cupboard sound studios has basically. Kept us going through this uh, strange and weird year. <laughs> but look, um,
1: I should probably set the scene slightly in the fact that this podcast, uh, well, as a fellow podcaster, <laughs> although like I said, uh, I'm fairly lightweight in, uh, in in relative to your to your good self. Uh, but it all started off with me chatting to all my team of chiropractors, and then I decided that we get meet some pretty cool people walking through the door of our clinics, and we're like, well, let's just get them on and have a bit of a chat and see what happens, right? Um, yeah, and- let's do it. Uh, so that's sort of, you know, obviously I want to sort of probably set the scene a little bit and get back into some of your background of, of acting. And, uh, I'm sure the listeners would be very happy to hear some stories from the past. Um, we should get into how we met officially as well. Um, but you know, also though, I, I think there's a cool little like crossover here of what I'm trying to do and what you're trying to do quite different, but there's that link there where. The, the stuff that you do off screen where you're so generous and giving back your time to good causes uh, and more recently this um, More Than My Past uh, podcast mm-hmm. that you're doing, that whole thing of like how people have changed a, a lifetime of habit, you know, be it, be it sort of crime or be it um, like uh, addiction or that sort of a thing. So we want to go into a little bit of that as well um, and somehow why well, you know i declared ages ago that 2021 after the crappy 2020 it was going to be a year of like giving back right uh and you are i think an ambassador for the giving back kind of because oh, you yeah i don't know how you do it but you're always out there cooking at like
0: a refugee camp or um you know uh i mean the reality the reality craig is all of it is easier than homeschooling um <laughs> <laughs> and you know god forbid i actually look after my own children because that is too terrifying it's much easier to be in prison or or cooking for homeless people or whatever but no i mean the truth is that um i think i my net na- my natural state is all is busy you know and um and i'm terrified of uh the idea of inactivity, you know, whether it's with training or whether it's in life. And I've always hustled to, to make money and hustle to work. So it's in me. The hustle was in me. So now if it's like, you know, replaced by the fact that gales are giving us 60 loaves of bread and we're like, well, 60 loaves of bread is too much for the nurses at um, St. George's. So I've got 40 loaves of bread. I've got to get rid of them tonight. So I'm like, where do I go to? And then I make a few phone calls and you find out there's soup kitchens. Doing stuff in Brixton, and they need bread, and then we could freeze some, and we take it to Cedars, which is in a, Mung- a Mungo's place, which is a sort of halfway house, and we're going to make bread and butter pudding with it. And, and you know, although it, the result of it is a sort of generous thing, but the, the um, that's a byproduct of me enjoying the hustle of that. You know, I enjoy that, mate. You've been on the hustle for so long i think too yeah me? i need to hustle i need <laughs> to
1: Mate, I, I should just interrupt and take care of a bit of business because i don't know if you know but as a guest on my podcast you're about to receive a lovely bag or two of this ground coffee society coffee which one is it so you know the gaff over the road from putney yeah, no i know
0: but which which coffee is it
1: well, it depends on how you take it. I can send This is actually an Ethiopian blend, but they do that caveman. Uh, espre- the caveman. Espresso. That's what I drink.
0: Yeah. I drink the caveman.
1: I'm going to get you. Now, how do you drink it, though? Do you do the pods or do you do the… Uh...
0: No, I do it with a, with a cafetiere.
1: Okay. I'll get you some of that because my mate Dave at Ground Coffee um, I is love sponsoring Dave. us, can you believe? We even have a sponsor. Big time, mate, mate.
0: That's great. And listen, I'm just hoping my knee doesn't get better so I can keep visiting them. <laughs>
1: it's a great little coffee crack combo isn't it hey
0: yeah it is and i take i take um i take a coffee into brian and um brian's one of your chiropractors and when i take him a coffee he goes thank you so much little does he know i don't pay for it because you will get free coffee (laughs) (laughs) brian thinks i'm being really generous and i'm not i wouldn't you know give him a penny of my money unless i have to but we'll get into your practice and all your people there, and Brian, because I've got—he's terrified that I'm going to slate him on the podcast,
1: <laughs> <laughs> mate. I'm sure you have nothing but good good to say, and we will get around. I really want to sort of get into that story of what you've done with your kids and the local osteopath too. But um, let's let's save that for a bit later. Let's okay. go back into. I was thinking I, while well, I did, you know, how I like to research this thing. I haven't done yeah. any research, um, and. Um, I believe it was 1998 was when Lockstock came out, man. It was, yeah. That's and right. Do, do you know I arrived in the UK in 1999? Oh. And, and so that was, I you know, I guess I don't have a clear memory of this, but it must have been my introduction to what UK life, I was about to embark on, right? Imagine that
0: as a young, pretty sheltered Aussie bloke <laughs> kid. Yeah, I mean, it was just... It was kind of a cultural phenomenon here. And um, uh, it's funny because it kind of defined a time. It was that whole loaded magazine, lock, stock and two smoking barrels, pop. It was all going on, you know, and it was, and um, it was nice to be part of that, you know, actively part of that. But um, I'm not sure really what his message was, you know, that whole kind of like life is ridiculous. So you might as well just go and enjoy yourself. It was kind of post Post the, you know, Margaret Thatcher years, it was like a, there was a real sort of artistic um, explosion, but it was very laddish. It was very um, um, nefarious and uh, consumer, you know, it was like, it was all about the booze and the drugs. It was was a strange time. And I obviously I had a good time and enjoyed it, but I'm not quite sure what its long-term effects were on the youth that were there. <laughs> well, I
1: mean, uh, of those guys who were still up and coming when they were there, like Jason Statham, I mean, obviously that's been a pretty crazy old journey for him too, right? Um,
0: yeah, it's really funny because, I mean, I know a lot of chiropractors listen to this, but I was speaking to Jason. We're really good mates still. <clears throat> and I was speaking to him the other day about the effects of filming on your body. And you know he does those, um, uh, this, this, what are they called, the, the Expendables movies, right? And it's all the great action heroes, athletes, film athletes of all time. You know, you've got Arnie, you've got um, Stallone, you've got Dolph, you've got Staith, Jackie Chan, you've got all these amazing guys who physically have been incredible and done stuff that no one else has done and done their own stunts. Well, Jay was saying that on the last Expendables at the read-through, when they finished the read-through and they all went to get up, no one could get up. (laughs) 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 They're all... None of them can run a bath. They can't run a bath. They are absolutely crippled, all of them. And it's really funny because that's the cost, you know. That's the cost of a life of um, physical extreme. Yeah.
1: But it's a funny link there, though, back to my broken leg and how you were Because, I mean, uh, for those that don't, well, no one would really know, but we met really by being neighbours. We did. We did. um,
0: You're still in the phone as Craig number three. (laughs)
1: there you go i just
0: i just dialed him before this podcast and he's still there craig number three
1: yeah we miss you in the neighborhood mate uh obviously the the quality of the uh, neighbors went down when you
0: moved out but uh oh thanks bruv well listen we used to have street drinks before the epidemic we and craig used to have street beers and we and everyone thought we were nuts and now everyone's (laughs) doing this yeah
1: it's the only way we can
0: um, but
1: do you remember I broke my leg and I was hobbling yep. around and I think you even thin. drove me, uh, you, yeah, you drove me down, uh, to the crystal palace pool. Right. Um, yep. and we were yep. doing some laps down there cause it was kind of the only form of exercise I could do because I couldn't really walk. And you were like, see that diving tower up there. My mate yeah. used to jump from that. So tell us the story, the little known fact.
0: I don't think many people know this fact about well, Jason Statham. Jason Statham was a British Commonwealth diver. That was his thing. Um, and in fact, above this airing cupboard is a picture. Oh no, you can't see, it's a podcast. But anyway, there's a photograph of Jason diving off, uh, off, the, off the Crystal Palace boards. But that's what he did. I mean, he wasn't, huge, he wasn't a successful diver as he is a film star, but he was in the British Commonwealth team. And, you know, he went to Russia and uh, competed all over the world. Um, but they realised that the level of debauchery you could get up to and dive. Because, you know, if you're a 100 metre sprinter, you can't spend all night out chasing, you know, girls from the Russian, from the, from the Russian Bolshoi, you know, from the ballet, b- b- ballet thing. you can't do that. But if you've only got to concentrate for a little second while you dive, you can sort of do it out of your nut and a bit hung over. So I think that's what they, they found a sport that you could do without being two together. And that's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> that's So yeah, so Jay, Jay trained at Crystal Palace because Crystal Palace was the British training ground before... It moved up north and has subsequently gone to East London to the Olympic Village, where the Olympic Village is. So now it's like this big, huge kind of Soviet dinosaur, you know. And I love Crystal Palace. It's like 265 to do a swim after 9 o'clock. And it's an amazing place. <laughs> so
1: good. Now you're obviously a good mates with my wife, Gail, uh, through the Tooting Back Lido as well. We should give those a shout out. Who are apparently reopening next month now, so they can. That's we amazing. That,
0: I took Gail down there the first time, but now she's like, she's like, you know, the demented figurehead of the whole place.
1: Yeah, it's a crazy old place. But I think you were saying that that cold water thing is like the yeah, you know, the 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 shock of the system that you used to get from other substances, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, cold water swimming is the closest thing to cocaine I've ever found. Because um, <laughs> now, obviously, that we've stopped taking cocaine because we've, you know, those years are gone. Um, cold water swimming is just as good. I mean, it really is. It's <laughs> like unbelievable. Um so, I mean, and, how much of that stuff was going
1: on when you were, like, doing the Lockstock stuff? Was it you, you sort You mean of the ended, cocaine? Yeah, the were cocaine? you in the middle of it then oh, or mate. not really?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think during that, not during the filming of it because we were all skinned. And also, we weren't really trendy or fashionable. So um, that part of the world, I'd seen it around, but we weren't invited in. We weren't, it was like Willy Wonka, you know, after Lockstock was successful, <clears throat> it was like Willy Wonka said, now you may join the party elite. And then, you know, before you knew it we were like invited to everything and given suits and you know coke was everywhere um and uh what a good time we had (laughs) (laughs) but you know my my um my addiction's always been um really um training and alcohol that's really my thing I mean coke was a giggle and we used to muck around with it and it felt like naughty and that was all part of it, but it never became a problem for me. <laughs> it never really became a problem. Um, it wasn't every my- now and then the brain let go it was with a fart. Right. But yeah, yeah. 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 But it, but it was everywhere, you know, I mean, there was, I mean, it wasn't quite to the levels of, uh, of, uh, like Scarface where there were bowls of it at the parties, but everyone had a little wrap and everyone was handing you a hand, you know, your hand was opened and something was put in it, uh, constantly. Um, but. So mate,
1: then the other, like, obviously, um,
0: I had this other,
1: uh, well, quite often at the end of our road where we used to live, the old carnival would arrive and the the, the roads, uh, the, the rides would be on and we'd take the kids there and all this sort of stuff. Right. And you got that cool story where since, was it Snatch that you've never paid for a carnival ride ever since, right?
0: Well, especially the ghost train. Cause I, basically Snatch. We played, um, what used to be a derogatory term, pie keys, which is, um, the, the sort of official word for it is carnival, the uh, carnies or, or travellers. Travellers is sort of encompasses most people who uh, live that life on the road. Um, but pikey is a derogatory term, which was claimed back by the travelling community, and now it's since Brad Pitt became you know king of the pikeys, it's now not ne- necessarily considered to be derogatory, but it, uh, if used by friends and family or people who are travellers. But because of that film, Brad Pitt doesn't really go to the fun fair, do you know what I mean, much. So I'm like the biggest pikey, I'm the person who play, out of all those people who were pikeys uh, in uh, Snatch, I'm the only one who actually goes on the ghost train. And they're like, your money's not good here, son. Away you go, your money's not good. And I was sort of courting Ellie at the time. It was like 2000, I think. And um, it was one of the things which really clinched the deal for me. She went, oh, my God. He doesn't play for the ghost train. That is so cool. So <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the reasons she kind of fell in love with me because uh, I, you know, I could take it to any fairground and we could get on any ride. Mate, it's the simple things, Hey, yeah, it's the simple things. The only other thing I get free, which is really annoying is on some radio interview, they were talking about your beauty regime. God knows what I was doing. And I said, well, like my mum, I just use Nivea. I think it's an amazing thing. Of course, Two days later, I got a four-liter tub of Nivea. Now, Nivea is the only thing I can actually afford in the world. It's like three pounds a liter, so I get liters of this stuff. It's like saying, you know, it's like getting free margarine. I mean, literally, no one needs free margarine. But there you go, Nivea and the ghost train never pay for it. The the the
1: the the the, the sponsorship of this podcast. I mean, you're just doing the, your sponsors justice. The thousands of people that are going to be benefiting from your advice here, mate. So. um
0: Bring it yeah, on. The, the, you're right. Our podcasts are are similar in the sense that no one listens to either of them. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but who cares we're having a great time uh, yeah exactly we get to catch up it's so nice to speak to great um actually there was
1: this other memory i had of uh where because we go on the bike ride I, I do claim to sort of uh i think i sold you my old bike didn't i you know i um, think you gave me your old bike maybe Craig. i gave it to you i forget but it was It was. A, i love that little purple machine and since then i have this love affair with cannondales and that was the, the original cannondale um but i remember we remember we rode and did a couple of laps of uh, richmond parking go mate I know know something that's going on in those trees over there, and I'm like, hang on a minute, where's he taking me? What's going on? And then do you remember we kind of,
0: uh, I think it was Sherlock 2 was being filmed. Yeah, we found uh, Guy Ritchie, didn't we?
1: Yeah. We
0: found Guy Ritchie. You're absolutely right. I forgot that.
1: Well, so we we were like off. I'm like, what the, you know, because I never do, but just laps of Richmond Park, and we're kind of riding through to the middle of this wooded area, and then you're like, you know, guys in there doing something. I just, you know, I heard he was in town, and I think it was that Jude Law fight scene or something that was going on there, and I and here we are dressed in our lycra, and everyone else is in Victorian clobber, and we're like, who are these two?
0: That's <laughs> right. I remember. That's so funny you remembered that. Oh, Craig, that's so nice. I mean, the bike. The, your bike is um. it it had a rebirth because it sort of sat in the uh, garage for a while i didn't really cycle for my after mucking around with you i kind of got when i wasn't seeing you so regularly i didn't really get the bike out and ellie was like if that bike isn't used in 12 months time it's going on ebay and then about 11 months into that me and posh bertie who's another mate of mine who i train with we he did up the bike to do um uh, to do a, um, Ironman. He nicked my bike to do an Ironman and which he never actually ended up doing, but he poshed up the whole bike. And so it sat there for 11 months. And then just before I went to put it on eBay, I took it out again. And it was, it was really just before lockdown. And I started to cycle through Richmond Park, like you taught me to do. And then down to, um, to Hampton Court and swim in the river in Hampton Court. And it, it honestly, all the way through the hot lockdown, which I guess was number two, Mm. It was amazing. I absolutely loved it. It was great. So good.
1: Well, anyway, we should uh, I've got one more thing to ask you about movies, but I, you know, I'm sure you talk about this all the time. I do want to get into more of this stuff about your uh, like addiction stuff, um because I think it's really interesting, but um the uh we should we should spare a moment for the late Sean Connery, bless him, in another sort yeah. of, picture of uh, lockdown 2 or whatever it was, but uh
0: you had some uh, you had some time with him, didn't you? Well, I did a film called um um the extraordinary league of gentlemen and he was like the lead and uh i played dr jackson mr Hyde. and you know any day you go on set and find sean connery is kind of like going diving and seeing a dolphin you know what i mean it's like it's kind of what you start work you know that's kind of the dream you know to walk on set and go good morning and him go good morning jason how are you doing and you're like oh my god big sean knows my name you know and, and there was there was like an email that went around when we started the film and they were like uh, there's two things you must never do when mr connery is on set right there's two things we're like okay what are they he goes the first one is the voice and the second one is the voice <laughs> like and you can't help it because he goes Good morning, and you go. Good morning. Oh God, no! I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just did. That. You just can't help it. It's just so difficult not to do the voice. But yeah, he was a treat. You know, I mean, I've been very lucky and been slightly out of focus behind the biggest film stars in the world. You know, but Big Sean was the man. So yeah, you know, two second silence for Big Tam. I mean, he was an amazing guy, and uh, um, for all his flaws, you know, I absolutely adored him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a great, great bloke. And
1: the, I, I, did, uh, I think I saw when he did pass, uh, you know, they obviously sort of did a few reruns of things and uh, it never quite dawned on me that his accent, he never did any other accent except for his own, did he? Um, even though he's
0: playing the Russian guy and, you know. Yes, I am the king of France. <laughs> <laughs> when you join the KGB, you'll find out from me. I mean, he was amazing. He just never did it. He just kept his own voice. Yeah. Um, and what a voice it was, you know. Um, he, uh, he, we were in a lift. It's funny. And the, after the read-through, we were going up. It was, the, it was the Euros. I guess it was 2004, maybe 2005. But it was the Euros on football. we just done the read-through. And he said, Are you watching the game? And it was England-Brazil. I remember it was England-Brazil. And me and Tony Curran, who's a great mate, who you've actually met, Craig, but mm. he was like, he goes, you're watching the Game Watch? And we said, yeah, yeah, we're going to watch him. We're in this, this hotel. We're in our hotel. He was at the Four Seasons, miles away. And he said, can I come up and watch it in your room? And I was like, yeah, of course you can, Sean. And we got in the lift, and the lift was kind of like this little airing cupboard. And we got in, so it was me, Tony, and Big Sean. He was called Big Sean because he's a big guy. You know, he's six foot four. So it was already quite busy, the lift. And then just the doors were closing, this old Maltese couple, just pushed the door open and got in the doors closed and there was silence we're going to the, like 48th floor and this Maltese woman who was you know in her 60s tiny little squat woman looked like a kind of like shop owner and she went I know you you're <laughs> from the television and he went yes, I am from look darling his team is from the television and I was like, well, of all the things to say to Big Sean, you're from the television. And he's stuck in this lift and he was so nice. He was like, yes, that's right. I am from the television. Yes, you're right. And we got out the 48th floor, and I was like, wow, that's really ridiculous. And we watched the game and he was brilliant. He was brilliant. He was going, get the ball up the park, you Diego bastard. Come on. <laughs> 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 you know, it was great. He was great fun. He was, was, was definitely from a previous... Era, you know, what I mean his mm-hmm. his uh his way of uh his his it was bit it was a bit of a philistine when it came to you know to political correctness, put it that way. Yeah, yeah, but now um because you you've got the Scottish blood anyway, don't you? Yeah, I have, I have. My mum and dad are both jocks, so yeah. I'm, in fact, when I started filming, I played jocks all the time. That's what I did. I did like Rob Roy and Doctor finley and all sorts of things. I was forever going. If that's the way you felt, then why did you hire me, Janet?
1: oh dear anyway I'm sure we could banter on like that for ages
0: um, uh, actually I did I did say were you born in Putney mate I was yeah I was so you're a local I was born in Putney and also during it's weird because during lockdown you know how hard it was to find anywhere to go that there weren't millions of people I kind of revisited Putney Common yeah. and, uh, and it was it's beautiful up there it's really nice it's because we got a you know, Romanian obviously I couldn't do anything normal so I had to get a feral Romanian dog that has been two generations of undomesticated dog it's str- it's been a stray for three generations so you know it's feral and it barks at everyone and bites the kids and sits on the concrete in the rain shivering and not wanting to come inside it's brilliant so yeah. i used to take it up to Putney common where there wasn't so many people and it's beautiful up there beautiful mm. so you haven't got the lockdown um
1: what do they call those things again the labradoodle you didn't go that option. No, I didn't get
0: a Labradoodle. I got a I got a romani Doodle, <laughs> which is a stray Romanian street dog. Brilliant idea. The kids, because we're posh, they go, "Papa, Indy's not bitten us for weeks." I'm like, it's not, it's not ideal, is it? It's not really <laughs> ideal. Oh uh, dear. Now, anyway, um,
1: like keeping it local, uh, Wandsworth Prison. What's your kind of? Uh, what's your connection there? You've been there for
0: ages, right? So, no, I've been in Wandsworth a couple of times. um, Obviously not not as a uh, paying customer. Not as a paying customer, no. My main prison is Brixton, actually. But I do – so basically how it started was um, years and years and years ago when I first started acting, we did a tour of all the Cat A prisons. Cat A means – prisons are graded into A to to, uh, D, and Cat A is – um, high security, um, serious charges, long sentences, and people who would, if they could, escape. So basically, it's the sort of uh, creme de la creme. It's your murderers and your terrorists. Um, so we did these, this tour, and it was The Chainsling, which was this uh, um, sort of uh, novel um, kind of 16th-century play. And in that, I get strangled. and So I'm getting strangled in this play, and we're doing it in the church. At, it was Durham Nick. And I'm getting strangled. And I'm like, uh, ooh, uh, 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 uh. and this voice goes, takes longer than that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And it and it I mean, it came from that time. I just realized that these people are the last person anyone feels sorry for, the last person anyone's got any patience with, the last person anyone wants to give a second chance to. And I suppose perversely, I just thought that's quite interesting because, um, you know, maybe none of us are as bad as our worst moment, you know. And I kind of started to begin to be interested in that kind of second chance idea and about empathy for people who no one was really empathetic towards. Now, there's a lot of people involved in the prison industry who are amazing and empathetic and I think quite early on I realised that if you incarcerate people and then release them with no difference except that you've incarcerated them for a certain period of time, it's going to reoccur. And we owe it to the victims of these people's crimes, the future victims of these people's crimes, to change their way of dealing with the world and to give them the opportunity to give them another chance and another way of living and uh, that's sort of been a real fascination of mine for 20 years and so moving on to now what I do is I, there's a couple of different things I do in the prisons but the major thing was that I, I started working with the Samaritans years ago and loved that and part of that is that we train listeners in the prisons. so basically suicide in prisons is incredibly uh, high and at the moment because of lockdown They're on 23-hour bang-up. So they're in their cells for 23 hours a day. And what we do is we train listeners to become Samaritans in the prison. So you get prisoners and you give them the skills of empathy and you give them the skills of understanding and um, a way, a method of listening without giving advice. And then they do that. So now when you're in prison, if you're in trouble and you're feeling suicidal or you're really in a bad way, you bang on the cell door, the, the screw comes, and you say, I need to speak to a listener. And they go and get a listener From the cell, who's also a prisoner, but he's trained by the Samaritans. And he goes to the cell and you sit with him for two hours and he talks you down off the ledge. And that's reduced suicide in prisons by 50%, which is incredible. Um, And also, it's selfish for me because, you know, when you walk, so we go in there just to train the listeners and to uh, sort of um, debrief with them about what's going on and work out any problems they're having. But, you know, selfishly, when you walk out of a prison, it's Christmas Day. You know, you walk out and you go, there's a bus. Here's a cafe how can you go into any of those I can do what i like and i find it incredibly uplifting to um to remind me of uh selfishly to remind me of the you know the uh opportunities and i've had and the opportunities i've got you know comparatively so it's it's just it's a self i've got a self interest in it really yeah but
1: so then that's led to this podcast then of where you actually then sort of uh, i guess you're trying to inspire others to um you know, that they can change.
0: Um, yeah. The, like a a wing in, in, most, in most prisons, there's a recovery wing. And in uh, Brixton, it's D-Wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the people in D-Wing, basically prisons are rife with drugs and drink, right? If you want anything, you'll get it in the nick. So if you're trying to, because st- most of the people that are in prison, I would say 85 to 90% of people in the nick, there's been a, obviously a form of abuse in a very early age and a history of anarchic, um, family life, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, and that cycle just continues, you know, and that's then passed on to the kids who then either go into the care uh, and through care get into petty crime or major crime. And that's a progression that's almost depressingly destined. You know, if you've got a kid in care, he will or she will 95% of the time end up in some sort of trouble with the police and possible incarceration. There are hardly any exceptions right people who go through the care system will end up in trouble with the police almost without exception now it takes Mm -hmm. an incredible person to avoid that destiny and that direction but the people who have ended up in trouble for them to then revert that and stop that cycle you know the cycle of incarceration release Readdiction, reincarceration, release, re-addiction. that cycle is is depressingly uh, destined almost. So, so in in prison there is mostly um, a sober wing, which is D in in Brixton, and those people are trying to go through the you know the twelve steps. They're trying to get off whatever they're on. So once they get out, they can give themselves a better chance of avoiding going back. And I find that unbelievably inspiring and brave and. Uh, that's why I got involved through the Forward Trust, which is a charity which helps in D-Wing. They decided to do this podcast and asked me if I'd sort of front it. So that's what we're doing. And we're interviewing people who've broken that cycle, and incredible people like Erwin James, who was a double murderer, 22 years in the nick, is now a journalist of The Guardian. You know, you're like, what? Yeah. No, I, know, I, I listened to that, that one. That was, uh, that
1: was great, mate. Um, well done yeah. on that. Yeah.
0: And, and so John Burt, you know, who was homeless, Irish, homeless, um, And now is in the House of Lords and started the the big issue. You know, there's people that have done the most, and on a much smaller scale, you know, people who've just lived a horrible, horrible existence and now run um, halfway houses for fellow addicts coming out of prison. You know, just as heroic, you know, just Mm. as impressive.
1: But again, well done. And, you know, thanks for giving back. And it, like, what, give us some tips for those like, you know, like myself, who's this kind of going, well, like, where do you even start? If you're in this sort of like little sort of comfy life that you are in, and then you just kind of like, well, I'd love to try and help others less fortunate than, our, uh,
0: than me or that sort of thing. What, what's a good place to start? I mean, it depends, you know, you've got to, like anything, you've got to be interested in what you're doing. You know, it's, so find what you where your empathy lies it doesn't necessarily have to be prison and and most people's aren't I mean (laughs) I'm almost perversely interested in that because no one else really is but you know find out where your where your empathy is you know if it's um you know if you're a woman and you've managed to escape partner abuse and you live you know you're in a particularly loving relationship or you know comparatively loving relationship then maybe that's where you want to you know put your energies and you and you've had you know as a woman you have suffered it or and escaped it then you know go online find out those charities which help halfway houses which protect women or keep women safe um, find out their the email of the person who runs them and email them and say look can I help you know whether it means you're going to end up delivering uh you know sourcing nappies for kids from supermarkets or um, and then delivering them, you know, do it individually. You don't need to do it through a charity, but obviously there's the food bank, which is massively important at the moment. <clears throat> food poverty, you know, especially in lockdown is huge. There are, there are soup kitchens in Brixton that need help that, you know, that, you know, even if you're just collecting like I do on a Sunday, it's just collect gales, give me 40 loaves of bread every Sunday. And I take those loaves and I nip them down to Brixton, give them to the soup kitchen and I'm off and I'm done in an hour. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> and that's, so, you know, go to your local delight bakery and there's a couple of private bakeries which don't have necessary most. I mean, a lot of bread and a lot of cakes, and a lot of sandwiches, a lot of pizzas are given to charity, but just find somewhere where they're not doing that. And, um, you know, get hustling and find a place you can take it. That's the yeah. easiest way of doing it. Cause when you email, you know, if you email the, the food, you know, the trust or tr- trust or you email, um, you find out where the food bank is. They're really, they are incredibly and brilliantly quite oversubscribed. You know, people are there and helping and it's amazing, but there are lots of other ways of doing it that are less official. You know, even like Acer clubs, which is just on the other side of Clapton Common, they mm. can't, they, 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 they get supplied with stuff, but I just went to Paul, the chef I went, Paul, bruv, what do you need? What I'll do is on, on Sunday, It's actually Monday morning on Monday morning, I'll come. You just give me a penciled list and I'll make sure I get it to you Friday. And this week it's like he needs fresh herbs and cooking oil um, amongst the other couple of things. So I'm like, right, fresh herbs and cooking oil. So then I zoom down to in to those amazing guys that are down in Tootin, And I'm like, guys, can, when can I collect herbs? He goes, we are open 24 hours a day. There is no time for, to give you, we sell all the herbs. And then you realize that the herbs are like 25 pence for a, for a you know, a what looks like a hay bale of coriander as opposed to going to, boot. Going to, going to um, you know, Mark's and Spencer's yeah. and you just, you just, you source it and then get it to them. And, it, you know, I love that part of it, the hustle, which is what I said to you, you know, it's the hustle. Mate, you do like keeping busy, don't you? It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> and guess what? Because I do all this stuff, I don't have to do maths for nine-year-olds. Yay! <laughs>
1: Uh, well, look, you should, um, tell us a little bit more about your Cairo experience. Cause part of, as I said, this whole thing is, um, trying to normalize that whole thing of just like nicking down to the Cairo is a fairly normal thing, you know, to, um, that you're doing it loads of different people are doing it. And, um, I just enjoy chatting to people about what their experience has been like. So give us a little bit more insight about, um, your Brian or Putney Cairo experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, my, my thing is that, you know, especially as you get older, you know I never warmed up I mean I never warmed up you know you see people in fact when we went running around um Richmond Park if you see people warming up you kind of it's like kind of like mental health used to be I'm like you've seen a shrink <laughs> out. what's wrong with you what's wrong with your mates yeah what's why can't you cope yeah. you know and now obviously we think very differently of that um and the same with with uh, exercise we never warmed up when you see people warming up you're like bruv while you're warming up i'm getting ahead of you you idiot you know and you're off and now we're all crippled um and so once you hit a certain age and you've exercised a certain amount through your life and you've smashed your body to bits you kind of have to start paying the piper and i think it's kind of like you know eating well cleaning your teeth um you know washing your clothes going to the cairo it's like it's it's essential and you need to do it and the difference is huge absolutely huge you know i go to see the of o'brien at um craig's practice and even though i always give him grief um you know i realize the level of skill he's got is is uh is changed everything i would have gone into operations i've sort of seen him for 10 years i would have done operations on my leg definitely and he's gone no no just stick with me and i'm like bruv, you're just trying to get you're just trying to make me pay you twice a week i could go and get this operated on and he went no, no no trust me trust me Let's give it six weeks. I'm like, six weeks, twice a week. And he's like, yeah, let's just do it. And, you know, absolutely six weeks later, I'm absolutely fine. And he's done it. And then I'm clear for a year or so. And then I smash myself to bits again. And then I go back and do it again. And I'll continue to do that. You know, he's helping me. Because I think in your 50s, you're not old enough to go, I've just got a bad knee. I'm not ready to accept that or I've got a bad shoulder, or I just can't do that anymore. You know, I'm not ready to accept that. And and Brian facilitates the continuation of my body destruction.
1: That's cool. That's a great description. You've sort of described that thing that a lot of people do, where you kind of like – you know quite often we'll meet someone for the first time and we'll be like okay well my intention is to look after you and care for your whole body for the rest of your life however I know you're just going to be doing that thing where you're going to be dropping in and out every now and then because life gets in the road you move away you come back you have different priorities you do different exercises and all that sort of a thing and you know we know like anything that you want to look after you kind of need to care for it for a sort of uh, you know for your whole life really and um, yeah uh, but yeah it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be there every
0: week for your whole life but um, it's a it's a cool way to do it you sure I mean listen this time (laughs) I'm definitely giving up smoking I promise no no I'm giving up smoking but this (laughs) time I'm like I'm definitely going to go to Cairo when I don't need to go to Cairo I'm definitely going to go um, once my knees are back to work, complete work in order, I'm just going to go to see Brian once a month and just have them clicked. Um, and hopefully that will continue and that's what I'm going to do. I've yeah. actually got to go back next week and say, the good news is that my left knee is stronger than anything. I'm really chuffed and that's the one we had to fix. The bad news is my right one is a bit tweaky. So I'm going to have to go back and tell him. I'm almost embarrassed. I don't know why, but I'm almost embarrassed to tell him he's got to work on the other knee as well.
1: Now, uh, tell us that story you were telling as well about your kids, about your lovely twins Noah and Cass. And even though uh, your osteo is not part of our group, and uh, but it's, a, it's Navel a, man.: Yeah, but it's a similar sort of a thing, you know, whereby some of the stuff that he's doing is sort of just working on the sort of the higher level of the nervous system, sort of Mate, thing, right? Um, this guy,
0: this guy Mayor, he's a chiropractor, right, Craig? Is that what you'd call him? Osteopath. No, so uh,
1: I'm, I'm pretty sure he is the osteopath, right? And then traditionally, osteopath, right, yeah. the difference between chiros and osteopaths is, one, we do the bones and the nerves, and they do the bones and the muscles, right? But there is yeah. this pretty massive crossover of what chiropractors massive. and osteopaths do in terms of just getting the brain yeah. and nervous system working
0: better, right? So tell us your Yeah, experience. navel, navel, so navel, and this is uncontroversial. It's like, you know, years ago, um, uh, um, acupuncture people were a bit sniffy about it and now it's completely accepted and proven you know there's no controversy about it at all hmm. well there are certain things in osteop- the osteopath does where people are like don't be bloody stupid what do you mean he just like puts his hands on your kid's head what is he a faith healer and yes Navalmare is indian and yes he is quite spiritual but what he's doing is mechanical and practical right with a sprinkling of spirituality. But, you know, my kids, when they were very young, very, very young, I used to go and see Nav um, uh, years ago. But when my kids couldn't sleep, they were very, very difficult to sleep. They're twins. And um, they came quite early, like seven weeks early. And they were not traumatized, but they were they were on high alert all the time. And without a shadow of a doubt, I took them to see Naval May, as an osteopath. And he kind of like put his hands on their heads and touched their muscles and like, an, like a chiropractor would, but very, very gentle. I mean, they were babies. They were like under a year. Um, he didn't click them. You know what I mean? They were literally like under a year. Yeah. And yeah. he just sort of placed his hands on them and spoke to them. And, um, and that night, they slept like, they slept for the first night through the night. Now, I couldn't believe it and thought, well, that's just a coincidence. There's no way that what he did, because as he was doing it, I was thinking 90 quid for this. This is an absolute joke. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and uh, they slept through the night, and they continued to sleep through the night, and then when they became a bit um, alert again and a little bit um, tense, I took them again, and they, he did it again. And he has treated the kids all the way through till now, where they're nine where they develop, and I think you've probably seen this before, Craig, but as kids get older, they develop tics, you know, they can develop um, all sorts of electrical kind of like stimulations, which are involuntary. And I, it broke my heart because Cass was ticking, you know, and Noah was ticking. And I, and I know what it's like at school And um, someone said something to Cass that was really hard, and he said, you know, he said to him, his arm was jerking and, 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 the, and the tick would kind of wave through his body. So sometimes he'd stretch his mouth really wide like he was trying to catch a fly. Sometimes his arm would flick. Sometimes his leg would go. And it was like a wave through. It's like an electrical wave through his body. And some kid, kid said to him, basically goes, Oi, are you mentally retarded? You know what I mean? And that was it. He was just devastated. And of course, immediately went to see Navel. Navel worked on him. Now they're nine, he could be a little bit more um, physical with them. But basically, it's the same thing. It was just like laying his hands on, uh, you know, working out the electrics, of the pulses of his body and stuff. And it stopped. It stopped. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's amazing. And it has come, you know, they do come back every now and again. And we just Hmm. like, more so than I do with you and my knees, more so we take the kids to see an osteopath Hmm. um, as a regular checkup. You know, like you would, like you would go to see the hygienist as a dental thing. You know, because yeah. it really works on kids; it really does.
1: It's cool, and it's great to hear you describe it. You know, from the sort of layperson's perspective. You know, because I mean, like as you're describing that, I'm thinking about the fact that you know, a, what a kids you do, yeah. Well, you know the the skull is still not fully fused until you're an adult, and there is actually the laying of the hands on the head is is doing some actual reshuffling of the kind of cranial yeah. bones, you know, uh, and how that has a big impact on those brain waves and sort of all the motor output and all that sort of stuff. And 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 the spine, there's that link into that as well, you know. So um, nice nicely described and put it into sort of some pretty nice terms for everyone to understand. So that's what this is about, just kind of normalizing stuff, huh?
0: Yeah. Well, when do you take really your kids? Is. I mean. <laughs> the osteopath, the osteopath, and um, the osteopath and the kids is something which I've, I've, you know, it's really changed their lives. It really has. I mean, it's yeah. really improved the quality of their lives. And it's, you know, what? It's like the chiropractor as well. It gives you a solution. There's no need. There's there are no physical. Pro- I mean, obviously there are physical problems. There are illnesses you can't recover from. Yeah. But in day to day life, the osteopath, um, the chiropractor, it gives you a solution to your predicament. You know, you don't need to go. I know that's just where it is. I've got a gammy leg. You don't, that's not acceptable. You know, that, yeah. is, not, that is not acceptable. And, um, you know, it's a champagne problem because you've got the finance in order to sort it. But there are, you know, chiropractors, like Craig's chiropractors, you know, there are ways of doing it, you know, piecemeal and on a budget. No, it's not something you need to go, right, well, it's going to be twice a week and it's £60 a pop. You know, there are other ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. And there are, you can do it by piecemeal and, you know, most chiropractors will talk to you about that. And, you know, it's one thing that's really important it's not to be embarrassed about the thing, thinking you can't afford it. You know, you need to talk to the chiropractor it's free to talk to them and they'll work out a way of dealing, of dealing with you.
1: Yeah. No, nicely said, mate. And, you know, it's, it's part of it as well, is sort of getting the trust of your sort of, you know, it doesn't necessarily sometimes matter if it's an osteopath or a chiropractor, you know, like uh, we've got Amy Bree down in Putney who loves seeing these kids and the the pregnant yeah. moms and all that sort of a stuff. And it's like, if you've had a good experience and you can kind of see that, that is sometimes the trick uh, and kind of why I started this Cairo London group is that it was even hard for me to send someone in North London to someone that I knew and trusted, you know? So, yeah um that's yeah you know, so that's why we're sort of trying to gather some really skilled practitioners and make sure the offering is is good for everyone you know um, yeah and
0: you do have that I mean you've got a partner you've got that amazing group you know it's a very diverse group of people and um you know of all shapes and sizes and when I say sizes I really do mean sizes with Brian um but um <laughs> but, but uh but the good thing is it's like you know like economically as well you can see a chiropractor i mean it's like having a physical trainer it's like if you've got the money to have a boxing trainer that'll that'll put you through your paces on a weekly basis that's great but that boxing trainer can also tell you what to do and then you can go and do it 10 times on your own and it's the same with the chiropractor you know you the the lazy way is to go to the chiropractor and he'll sort you out you know and if you can afford to do that every day then that's brilliant and you can afford to do that but you don't need to be able to afford that the chiropractor can do one session with you teach yeah. you what to do and then you're away you know and that's 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 what's great about
1: about um chiropractors yeah. and and a lot of the time as well you just actually work with someone to get to a point where they'll just get over the hump and once they're over the hump it's amazing how the body can do all that sort of self-recovery stuff anyway you know um yeah and yeah, yeah. Y- you're right in an ideal world you'd maintain things really well like you'd maintain anything you know but i'm pretty sure the windows in my house need painting at the moment so um uh you know uh <laughs> Yeah, you do what you have to do, what you can do. Yeah, yeah, mate. But look, super generous of you to give your
0: time up, big Jace. Um, I'm silly, Craig. It's lovely to connect. I mean, we saw each other recently because um, I did the uh, Big Richmond Park, and your house is on the way home, so I will always stop <laughs> on the way back for a quick espresso,
1: mate. Well, now the uh, the weather's finding up a bit. We should get you back on that bike, and we have to do that now. I'd Winter is nearly past. We'll get we'll go into a couple of more laps and
0: see who else we can find in Putney Common Woods, right? I'd love that, mate. And and listen, you I saw some um film. That wasn't you cycling in Dubai, was it? That looks incredible.
1: Uh that was a flashback to a few years ago on our way to Australia. We went to Dubai and uh yeah, you know, you know the you know the the prince or whoever he is like cycling yeah. out there
0: the chic and so he's yeah, the, one, the one who's really the one who's really good to his daughter
1: yeah the family man um yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, he also likes cycling so he built this like 80 kilometer loop of the most amazing tarmac in the middle of nowhere right oh, that's um, hilarious
0: that is hilarious man uh, why why wouldn't you when you can that city um, i mean i filmed in dubai and um uh you know this the man i'm only i mean i am joking about the uh prince MacToon. i'm sure he's a very nice geezer but he certainly he's certainly changed that city in you know like irreversibly i mean we filmed there in a in the film <clears throat> so there's a group of islands in the in dubai that are the shapes of countries right and they're for sale. so each you know there's like you know there's there's australia there's new zealand there's america there's that and um in the film we're on this boat and i picked up this girl and we're we're driving on this luxury boat through the water and there's a helicopter shot. And uh, the head, he, she goes to me, where are we going? And I go around the world. And then the helicopter goes up and you see the boat and you see the one. I'm like, I'm not saying that, but that is the corniest line ever. Surely I can say something else. She went, no, 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 no. Mac Toom's paid for this film. It's an advert for Dubai. And I'm like, you might've told me that before I started making the film, but you know, and it shows it in the most brilliant light and it's all, everything's amazing. But, you know, the hotel I was staying at had a, you know, had a ski slope and I was like, wow, this place oh, no. really is quite
1: That's, incredible. That is the ultimate product placement, though, where you actually product place an, a,
0: your series of islands yeah. in the movie, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Around the world. <laughs> <It's> ridiculous. <clears throat> but, yeah, just don't go over for a sleepover because you might never see your daughter again. And, by the way, Craig, I did see your daughter on Instagram. Um, Mate, yeah. Jeez, man. She, I mean, she was always gorgeous. But mm. she's like I mean, your wife, right. you are mm. seriously, you always have been Blast. you know punching above punching above your weight, I was gonna <laughs> say. <clears throat> and she does look the spit of she looks the spit of your wife, but she is yeah. absolutely stunning, amazing. But, you know, I leave them at home for like,
1: uh, I went up to town, the clinic up in town yesterday, and I come back and like two hours later, here is the full, the first time the hair color thing has started, right? Um, Rainbow. uh, So, Gail is like, I am so jealous that now my daughter has become way cooler
0: than me, and she's only 11. So, uh, I'm in trouble here. Oh, she's 11, Dave. She's amazing. They both look amazing. Lockie looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's doing so so well at school and stuff. That's just, I never, ever thought, you know, you know when your kids grow up and you see a kid and you, you know, Hmm. you don't, and it's it's an interesting thing. It's what we just were talking about, about defining people for what they are. Hmm. You know, when Lockie was growing up, if you told me that he would be weekly boarding and coping with it really well, yeah. I would say I don't think that's gonna happen, Craig. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. But No, so you yeah. are not defined by who you are at any one point in your life, whether you're you know, more you're more than your past. <laughs> Literally.
1: You are more than your past. Uh, check it out on where you get all your good podcasts
0: from. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Craig.
1: Anyway, mate, look, we better wrap this up and I'll sign off and uh, let me just thank you very much, mate, for coming on the Kyra London that was good. podcast. And that was Jason Fleming. Thanks, mate, for coming on the pod. Uh, Great stories shared. And don't forget to check out all a few of our other episodes that are going on in the ChiroLenable podcast. We've got a few uh, rugby players, a bit of golf going on, a bunch of chiropractors you get to meet, and you might enjoy some other stories just like you have today.